Well, hey there, and welcome to our Sermon Audio Podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. You have your Bibles this morning. It's time to get into the Word. Amen? Oh, a few of you are happy about that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 57, but as you're pulling your Bibles out, whether you got it on your phone or you got it in book form, would you, would you take that Bible and hold it up? Or tablet form? You know the drill. Repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to be here. Lord, I really feel like we've already had church, and certainly you've already broken out among your people. You've declared your love and your desire to draw us closer. Lord, I pray that that the remainder of this service would only add to that, would only build onto that. Lord, I pray lives to be touched, challenged, and changed, and I pray that as we get into your word, you'd help us to understand it. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, but would your Holy Spirit go where I can't go, to the heart of each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's take a look at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. As they, they, being Jesus and his disciples, are walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Three individuals met on the road, three individuals that came up and expressed a desire to to be with Jesus, to walk with him. And when he turned and encouraged them, invited them to, to come in a little closer, did you notice the three of them have something in common? All three of them had this in common. They they had excuses. Uh, Mark? Mark? Excuse me. What are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to preach here, Mark. I'm glad you came down to visit. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach, though. Okay. Give me, give me this. Okay. Give me the hat. Just give me the apron. Trying, trying to help. Don't see a guy for a while. Come down, trying to help on the sermon. All right. 
Go go sit by your wife, please. Thank you for being here. Excuses. And oh, these bags have excuses on them. Thanks, as if we need some more excuses. Thank you. Thank you. A bag full, oh. How many, how many of you got bags? They say something on them. They all got it. They all got excuses on them. Huh? I bet you these, these are excuses that are probably fairly common excuses that, that we get. Maybe some of us in here have given for not drawing real close to the Lord. You're laughing back there, Norm Karen. What's your, what's your excuse say? It's your only oh, 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 it's my only good one. Only day to sleep in. Here's an idea. Take a nap. <laughs> so do I. Who else got one? Murtis. Always ask. Oh, always asking for money. Yeah, we're always asking for. You know who else is always asking for money? McDonald's, but you still go there, don't you? Always asking for money. Yeah, Aiden, what you got? Too much to do. I got too. Oh, how many of you know that, man? You just get too busy. I just got too much to do in my life. Let me tell you something. God has given you in every 24-hour period enough time to do everything he wants you to do, including getting enough rest. That's kind of a lousy excuse, too much to do. You may be piling on things that God never intended you to do. Who else got an excuse here? Pardon me? Sleeping overtime. You need to go to bed sooner. <laughs> what do you got? Don't know enough. Don't know enough. We'll come to church and learn something. There you go. Let's shoot down that. Any other excuses out there? Pardon me? It's too early. Go to bed earlier and take a nap. It's too early. I tell you what, when I want to go hunting, i got to get out there like an hour before daylight, and it doesn't seem to kill me then. When my wife wants to go fishing, we got to get up at the day before, and it doesn't seem to hurt then. <laughs> Tim, you got an excuse? Don't want to be a hypocrite. Don't want, oh, how many of you heard that one? I don't want to be a hypocrite. Then don't. <laughs> don't be a hypocrite. You, you're the only one that can control that. Don't want to be a hypocrite. No, don't be sorry. Just don't be a hypocrite. Anybody else? Any, any other hypocrite? Any other hypocrites out there? Any other, any other excuses out there? Only well, okay. Yeah. Take a nap. Take a nap. Jesus got away from people. You can't tell me Jesus never took a nap. Don't want to. Be, let's see. What do we got? It's too early. Right, we talked about that. Don't know enough. Learn something. Come to church and learn something. Don't want to be. Oh my God. These these are these are good. These are these are classics. Don't know anybody. Meet somebody. We have a meet and greet and meet somebody. I hope you met somebody new today. Let's see if I got any other. I don't have anything else. Oh, too many hypocrites. Too many hypocrites. So here's an idea. Take the plank out of your own eye first. And then don't be a hypocrite. Yeah, that's a good one. In case you're 
In case you're wondering, um, that was planned. This is my friend, Mark. <laughs> you didn't know I was talking to the Lord. He just brought you down here, buddy. Yes, yeah, give it up for Mark. Good friends of ours from Toledo served on the board with me. Just uh, we love we love this this family, this family, a lot of history there. Love this family. Uh, back to excuses. It's been said everybody's got excuses. Excuses are kind of like armpits. Everybody's got them, and they all stink. All right. Don't feel like you got to come up and prove it to me either. You know, Jesus was so overwhelmed with excuses and the excuses that people gave him that he actually told a parable about it in Luke chapter 14. You want to just flip a few pages. Jesus told a, a, a parable about excuses, I think, because he was just getting frustrated to no end. How many of you know the Lord gets, Lord gets frustrated with us sometimes and sometimes for good reason? Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out and bring in the poor. Go out rather quickly into the streets and the alleys in the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done. There is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That sounds kind of harsh. I mean, that's a harsh reality. Jesus has invited us. If you didn't catch it, the, the owner of the home is God himself. He's setting a, a banquet. The Bible tells us that, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be this, this banquet. It's the wedding feast of the, of the bride and the lamb. And yet people are giving him excuses. Well, I just got involved in this. I just got that. I'm just too tired. I'm just this. I... And the end of the parable, Jesus said, they ain't going to make it. You want to give me excuses? You don't even get a taste. You want to give me excuses? We're done. I made a way. I sent the invitations. I sent out the, the call. It's time to come in. It's time to come close. But all you got for me is excuses. Goodbye. We don't like to hear that. We want to hear that we can do whatever we want and, and God's good with it. That's just not the case. He wants to draw us close, even as he told us this morning in the tongues and interpretation. Let's get back to Luke chapter 9. I want to get on with these. I want to look a little closer at the excuses that these men gave. The first man, he, he responded in enthusiasm. In fact, he came up and he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. I mean, he's just excited. He's ready to go. Until Jesus told him to count the cost. Until Jesus told him what the reality of his situation was. He says, look, 
The Son of Man doesn't have any place to lay his head. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have any place to lay my head. And that disappointed the guy. You know, Jesus wasn't looking for a place to stay. He wasn't asking to be invited over to his house to have a new room added on. He wasn't asking for that. He was given the sharp reality that ministry, that serving me, isn't about what you can get. It's about what you can give. It's not about building up collections and storing up stuff for yourself and, oh, what can I, boy, being a, being a minister, man, being a servant of God, man, that's going to get me money and that's going to get me fame and that's going to get me friends and I'm going to have all this great stuff. It's so cool to serve the Lord because he's going to give me all this stuff. I'm going to have finances coming out my ears. And, and Jesus said, you know what? I don't even have a place to call home. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh who came to live and die for you and me to purchase our salvation, the reality of his life, the reality of his ministry, is that he left the glories of heaven and came down here to live a homeless life. So if you want to follow me, you need to understand, it's not about the fluffing stuff. It's not about the fancy houses and the fine cars and the caviar dinners. It's not about having the best of everything. It's about answering the call. Giving, not taking. I kind of disappointed that guy. He, he was kind of hoping he'd have a, a nice place, maybe a new camel to ride. Wasn't coming. See, the reality of what Jesus was teaching and the reality of what his word tells us today is a far cry from the prosperity message that some proclaim and that many, even in Jesus' day, had hoped for. This was, a, this was kind of a hard reality for Deb and I years ago when we understood that God was calling us into ministry. I know I've, I've shared some of the story. I had a good paying job. I mean, I was, I, was work, I was working for Boeing. We, we built airplanes. I had a, I had a job. There's very few of us that did this particular job. Back in the, in the early 90s, I was making like $27 an hour. In the early 90s, as a kid, full benefits. Man, we had a nice car. We had toys, you know, travel trailer. We had, we had motorcycles. We, had, we built a nice new house. A couple of acres overlooking the valley. I mean, it was... It was Awesome. And God says, you know what? I got something, I got something going on. I got something I want you, to, want you to do. I want you to give up all this. I want you to go into full-time ministry. What? I don't know how to, I don't know how to preach. He said, well, you didn't know how to machine when I got you this job. Well, fair enough. So we talked about it. Deb and I talked about it. You know what one of the very first things out of her mouth was? No. The next thing was no. I don't know how many no's. There was a lot of no's. And it wasn't K-N-O-W. It was N-O. No. And I said, are you speaking Spanish or English? It's just, apparently it's the same word. Both. No means no. She said, no. I said, why? She said, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be broke all my life. You did too say that. I've got it recorded right here. 
Besides, even if you hadn't have said that, I'm up here preaching and you let that out loud? You did say that. I remember because it caught me off guard. I was like, what? Yeah. I'm surprised. But the fact of the matter, I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. So I, I don't want to be poor. Because we have family in ministry and we know people in ministry. And you know what? I mean, yes, there are some pastors and some ministries that's just rolling in the dough. Few and far between. Hasn't been our experience. Seen it. Heard about it. Haven't been there. I'm not asking to move. I don't know. <laughs> But the reality is Deb's first response was, no, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be broke. I'm comfortable. I, we got this nice new house. I mean, we have all of these excuses. I, I, and I'm not, I don't want to pick on Deb because I had the same kinds of excuses. I mean, I, look, I've got stuff. I've got stuff. And it's fun stuff. And, and I was serving on the board, but you know, it's okay. I could, I could skip church every once in a while and go have fun. My board cannot, by the way. Don't go skipping church just to have fun. That's unholy, unless you invite me. No, I mean, you know, we, we, we grow accustomed. We grew accustomed to this lifestyle and having enough money, more than enough money, having stuff. But as we prayed and as the Lord just began to work on our hearts and our minds, we began to understand God is able. We begin to understand, you know what, this, this life is temporary, and everything that I build up, everything that I gain today, it doesn't matter because I'm not taking any of it with me. Philippians 4.19 says this, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He'll meet all of your... When we step out and we walk in faith and we trust the Lord... He'll meet all of our needs. Now, there's a big difference. It's a totally different sermon. Big difference between needs and wants. God's never promised, just so you know, He's never promised to meet your wants. But He has promised to meet your needs. And I can tell you, as one that's been walking with Him for a while, He's good at it. He meets all of our needs. And He does it not according to the economy. He does it not according to the strength of the dollar. How many of you are glad about that? He doesn't do it according to the price of gas or your debt-to-income ratio. God doesn't meet your needs, and He's not bound by any other indicator. He meets our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But if we want to have those needs met through the glorious riches of Christ Jesus, then it makes sense that we need to be walking with Christ Jesus? Thank you. Fear of the unknown, especially, and I've seen it time and time again. I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed for ministry positions. I've seen it time and time again. Fear of the unknown, especially financial unknown, puts the kibosh on way too much. I've learned this, and you might want to write this down, that when you, do, when you know who... When you know whom you serve, you don't need to worry about the how, the what, or the why. When you know whom you serve, Paul said, I know whom I have served. 
I know whom I serve. He takes care of my every needs. I don't need to worry. I don't need to waste the time. I don't need to develop anxiety over the what and the how and the where or the when because I know who. Number two, we see this guy in verses 59 and 60. Follow me, Jesus said, but the man replied, first, let me go and bury my father. You see, his excuse, or the first man's excuse, revolved around financial issues. This man's excuse revolved around his responsibilities. See, as, as probably the eldest son, he had the responsibility to take care of the father's household. And when the father died, he had the responsibility of burying him and making sure that all the legal stuff got taken care of and, and everything was done. They said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first... Let me go and bury my father. Now, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good for us to be responsible. But do you realize that there is no indication, there's no evidence anywhere in Scripture that this guy's father was even sick? You know, we, we read it, oh, let me bury my father. We read it, and in our mind, we automatically think, oh, the guy must have been sick on his deathbed. There's no evidence in Scripture that the guy was even sick. Jesus' response, his immediate response, I think, tells us quite the opposite. He probably wasn't sick. What did Jesus say? Let the dead bury their own dead. We get caught up sometimes with the, with the responsibilities that have been placed on us, whether it's responsibilities at work or it's responsibilities at home or it's responsibilities that we have generated for ourselves. And we use it as an excuse not to draw close to the Lord, not to go deeper. You see, too many people are like him. They, they say, I will, but not now. I'll serve you when I get everything in order. Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll come closer. I'll be more dedicated. I'll be more committed when, I, when you know, my dad passes away and I'm, and I'm able to spend more time. I'll, I'll do it when you know, this situation is taken care of or when I'm, when I'm done building you know, this business or this pile of wealth or when I've completed this house or when I've completed this task or that project. Lord, I, oh, I really want to serve you. I'm excited about it. Thank you for calling me. I, really, I want to build this relationship and get close to you. But, but Lord, you're just going to have to wait just a little bit. I mean, just I just got to finish this one or two or 12 projects. And how many of you know that one responsibility or project has a tendency to lead to another one and another one and another one? Deb and I were just laughing the other day because um, my, my folks were down the other day and they asked, if, is, is the church okay with you doing this? I said, oh, they don't mind. We're doing a little bit of remodeling on the house, on the parsonage over there. And of course, my parents' concern, and I appreciate it, my parents' concern is that we don't own the house, the church owns the house, and here I am ripping walls out, and, and we put, a, we put a, a window in the bathroom. That's what we did. We put a, a small window in the bathroom up above the shower. Now, I, I don't expect to see any peeping toms out there. If it's up high, you'll just see the top of my head. You might catch me washing my hair or my scalp. But we, <laughs> thank you, Norm. We, we put that in. I was showing my dad because I, because 
we want to take the post out of the, you get the post out of there. And so I had my dad come down and tell me, is this really load bearing? Can I take that post out of this? Well, we're talking about the bathroom though. And I said, you know, here's a, here's a bad thing. Some, I don't, whose idea was that anyway? Is that your idea or my idea? To put that window in there. That was, oh man, I was afraid you were going to say that. Somebody's I got this idea. We should put a window in here. That'd be kind of cool. Let in more light. It's not a problem to have ideas. I've learned it's not a problem because I usually have good ideas. Usually. Sometimes they're not the best, but usually they're good. My problem is I need to learn to keep my mouth shut and keep my good ideas to myself sometimes. Because I mentioned to Deb, hey, I was thinking we should, we should put a little window there. Oh, yeah, we should do that. That'd be really great. She didn't use that voice. That's just... So I thought, okay, it's... The next week, hey, when are you going to put that window in there? Like I just mentioned it a week ago. When are you going to put that window in there? The week after that, when are you going to put that window in there? What's going on? I said, well, if I put the window, I've got to take this false ceiling down, and I gotta, I'm going to have to patch drywall, and, and it's going to be involved. When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? For like, pretty soon, it's like every single day. When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Finally, a couple weeks ago, I did it. Canaan came up, we cut the wall out, put a window in, it looks really good. Well, I think it looks good. It's letting in light. And now I'm busy sheetrocking, taping. Not really my gift, but I'm doing it. Well then, see, one thing leads to another. You would think, oh, he put the window in, good, the bathroom's done. No, one thing leads to another. She says, you know what? What? You know what would look really good in the bathroom? Paint. Oh, she says, I want to take the vanity out and I want to get an old antique dresser. I want to turn the dresser into a vanity and put it there. And then she found one. The lady speaks and she does. Like simultaneously. I am a Hollis. I speak and then I think and I think and I think and I think. She married into the Hollis family. She speaks and wants it done. She found a, she found a dresser. Now I've got a... I've got to transform this dresser into a vanity. I said, hey, you know, we got a problem here. There's these four spindly legs that come down, and uh, when we take the old vanity out, the floor's not going to match. You know what? That means I'm going to have to do the floor. Oh, yeah, you can do that. I said, but now, just because of a window, now i got to do a vanity, and now i got to do a floor. And I know, you know, you can't just put that vanity in there. We're going to have to put new lights in. Yeah, you can do that. One dumb window. It's costing me so much time and heartache and frustration, but it's giving me a really neat sermon illustration. Just like that bathroom, one thing leads to another. When we have as an excuse for drawing close to God, an excuse that, well, I will, but I need to do this. The devil's really good about adding on to your honeydew list. Because one thing leads to another. And pretty soon you got that. Well, okay, look, just a little bit longer, Lord. Just a few more minutes. Just a few more. And pretty soon we find ourselves locked out. Don't sit around waiting for someone to die. Don't sit around waiting for someone to die or for circumstances to change in your life before you decide to be obedient. Think about this. It, it may just be your obedience to Christ that changes the circumstance for someone else. You quit making excuses.
quit putting it off. Don't wait for somebody to die. Change the circumstance today. Third person in verses 61 and 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. His excuse revolved around relationships. And relationships aren't bad. Relationships are good. Jesus came to have a relationship with us. Jesus did not come to institute religion. He came to initiate relationship, to restore a fallen relationship. Relationships are huge, but you know what? Relationships can get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Jesus called to this man, I want to draw you closer. I want, to, I want to get to know you better. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And the man says, that's cool, but let me go take care of some relationship issues first. Let me go say goodbye to my mom and dad and brother and sister and, and whatever else, and I'll catch up with it. You see, the, this issue is not, a, it's not an anti-family one, nor is it an a anti-proper farewell. Jesus isn't, he's not going to be upset about a proper farewell. The problem is starting and then stopping, and then starting and then stopping, because we're swayed by those relationships with others. You see, sometimes we need to be really careful about what we tell who. I can remember when I first understood God was calling us, and Deb and I had made the decision prayerfully that we were going we to go into ministry as soon as I got credentialed. We were going to leave Boeing, and I, I told one of my uncles, who happened to have been at Boeing for years and years and years, he had gone real far, and I, and I told him. He walked through my shop one day, and I told him, hey, this is what's going on. He's like, oh, that's neat, and he walked away. He told me years later, he says, I walked away, and I laughed, and I said, yeah, right. He's almost in tears when he tells me that because he sees that we were actually, we were actually right. But I, I told my uncle not that he could dissuade me. He's a godly man. But just because I was excited. But sometimes we start telling people stuff in relationships, and they start to try and talk us out of it. Oh, you know, they, they care about us, so they don't want to see us go through the difficulties or the hardships. The reality is that we need to know, you need to know whether you've been called into vocational ministry or you've been called to be a, a lay person. A lay person is just a, a fancy way of saying a believer that lives out their faith. But you need to know what it is you've been called to and what it is that you haven't been called to. You need to understand what God's gifts and His calling on your life are and then do it. And be determined, don't be dissuaded by the crowds and the naysayers. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't or you shouldn't. And that was the danger. This man going off and talking to his family, Jesus said, no. Reminds me of the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was a prophet as he was nearing the end of his ministry. He still had several years, but as he was nearing the end of his ministry, the Lord told him to anoint a young man by the name of Elisha to be his successor. And so Elijah went and found Elisha, and Elisha was, he was just, he was just working. He was working the fields. He was, there were 12 teams of oxen, and he was driving the last team of oxen, and he was working the fields. You know, you don't have to, God, God doesn't necessarily find you at a seminary or a Bible school 
or necessarily find you just sitting in a pew in the church. God will find you at work, and he'll find you at home. And he'll speak. Don't, don't wait for him to speak to you here. He wants to speak to you out there. And so Elijah finds Elisha out in the fields. And Elisha comes in, and Elijah puts his, puts his robe over him and anoints him and says, follow me. And Elisha said, similar to what this man said, he says, well, let me go say goodbye to my family. Elijah's response was, who am I to stop you? Basically, do what you want. But here's the difference with Elisha. When he went back to his family, he took those oxen and he slaughtered them. And he took the yoke, the big piece of wood that tied the oxen together, he took the yoke and he cut it up and he made a fire and he cooked the oxen. Both as a sacrifice honoring God, but also as a meal for the people that he was getting ready to leave. You know the really cool thing about that? It wasn't just honoring God. It wasn't just feeding the people. He was saying, there is no going back. I've heard the Lord call. I'm going forward, and there's no going back. In fact, I'm going to burn the bridge behind me. I'm going to make sure that I can't get back even if I want to. I'm going to slaughter what I've been relying on, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to feed the people. I'm going to use the yoke. I'm not going to sell it and give it to somebody else. I'm going to destroy this because if I sell it and give it to them, they'll probably sell it back to me when times get tough. Church, if, if we're going to follow the Lord, if we're going to serve Him, we've got to get rid of all the excuses and things that pull us back. And we've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm burning that bridge behind me. But this man that was talking to Jesus, he, he wasn't there yet. See, the heart of the problem among all three is that there is common language. Not only were there excuses, but there was common language, especially between the second and the third person. If you look at the words they said, first person, verse 59, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Second person, verse 61, first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Let's take some of the words out and see what they were actually saying. Lord, first me. I'll follow you. But first, me. We're in trouble when we live like that. Can't serve two masters. Jesus said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's got to be the priority. His righteousness has to be the priority, the driver in our relationship with him. Let me turn and, and make it a little more personal, maybe put it in, in terms that we understand a little more today. How many of you men here remember when you were chasing your wife? You're out, you're out dating or whatever. You're trying to find the right girl. And, and you know, maybe, maybe your wife wasn't the first person you dated, whatever. But you ever, guys, you ever been put in the friend zone? You know what I'm talking about? You meet this girl, you really like her, you, you want to take the relationship further, and she just, you know, I like you, but just as a friend. 
I just want to be friends. That's almost as bad as being cousins. But it's legal. I'm not sure where that came from. But... <laughs> I'm not even going to dig myself out of that hole. A lot of times we get, we get when, when we're in that dating process, we, we, we get stuck in the friend zone, and the guy doesn't want to be in the friend zone. Because friends don't even get to hold hands. I don't, I don't want to be your friend. I want, to, I want to be your boyfriend. I don't want to be your husband. I don't want to be your man. I don't want to be your friend. You realize how many of us are keeping Jesus in the friend zone? Jesus is saying, I don't want to just be your friend. I want to be your savior. I want to be your master. I want to be your provider. I want to be your all in all. I want to be your rock. I want to be your deliverer. I want to be the lover of your soul. Don't put me in the friend zone. I'll tell you something. As much as we can be called a friend of God, and as much as Jesus came to build relationship, he didn't come just to be friends, and he won't stay in that friend zone. He wants more. He wants more from you and me, and, and not just that he wants more from you and me, but understand this, he wants to be able to give you more that you're not going to be able to get in the friend zone. We hold him at bay and we keep him from building our lives and blessing our lives and fulfilling things in our lives that only he can do because we have excuses. Jesus is calling in each and every one of us to a closer relationship beyond the casual comfortability of what you've become, a used to, uh, become accustomed to. What we just looked at are a few of the many excuses, but I ask you this morning, what's yours? Is your age an issue? If you think you're too old, then I'd remind you of Abram, who was 75 when he left his father's house. I'd remind you of Moses, who was 80 when he went into ministry, went back to Egypt. I remind you of Caleb, who was in his 60s or 70s or whatever when he finally went into the promised land and took land. If you think you're too young, I remind you of Samuel, who was maybe eight years old when he began to hear the voice of God and build relationship. Get rid of that excuse. Is it your education or, or the lack thereof? I want to remind you that Peter and John were ordinary, unschooled men that spent time with Jesus. What was it said about them? They turned the world upside down. That's pretty incredible for ordinary, unschooled men. They spent time with Jesus. So your lack of gifts or abilities, don't rely on yourself anyway. Trust Him. Like I said, I, I, I gave the excuse to God, I don't know how to preach, but He reminded me that I didn't know how to do any of the other things that He had blessed me to do until He opened up that door. Is it finances? We'll go back to Philippians 4.19. God will provide all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. 
But you need to understand this. I want you, it, it, our brain doesn't naturally work like this. With God, provision follows need. Not the other way around. You see, we're conditioned that, oh, I've got finances, I've got provision, now I create a need. No, God says, show me you got a need, then I'll meet it. Show me you're going to step out and do it. Show me that, that you're going to take that step of faith, then I'll meet the need. Whether you're Peter walking on water, or you're Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego going into a fiery furnace, God says, provision follows the need. Show me you're going to go, and I'll meet the need. Is it your past? Well, I'm sure a bunch of us could throw that excuse up. Lord, all the things I've done in my past, I'm just, I'm just lucky to be forgiven. You want to use your past as an excuse? Go to 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Paul, and who better than Paul to pen these words, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Your past doesn't count. Not going to hold water. It's not going to fly with the Lord. Maybe you've got responsibilities. You're a good worker. You've got to raise your kids. You've got to finish your education. Think about Peter, James, Andrew, and John who left a commercial fishing venture that their fathers had built to follow Jesus. Think about Levi, also known as Matthew, who left a cushy government job with all of its benefits, to follow Jesus. They laid down the excuses. Relationships, there comes a time your relationship with God has to be number one. And young people and not so young people, you need to hear this. There comes a time in your life when your relationship with God has to be based on you and God, not mom and dad. I'll even go a step further. Husbands and wives... Your relationship with God can't be on the shirt strings of your spouse. And nobody getting into the Father without having a relationship with the Son by themselves. So with all that said, bring it right back down to this. Excuses. They're like armpits. Everybody's got them. They all stink. Are you this morning ready and willing to lay down your excuses that you can step up and step into the deeper relationship, the closer relationship, the greater things that God has for you? If I can get you to come play piano or something. I invite you all to stand this morning. We're going to close in prayer. But I would be remiss to just close and say, hey, go think about your excuses. Lord has already evidenced this morning that he wants more from us. And he wants to give us more. We just need to respond to him. Thank you for checking out our podcast today. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.